fitness, health is accessible to everybody, and it should be fully taken advantage by everybody. It's your responsibility to yourself to make sure you're healthy and able to enjoy the rest of your life, and make sure your family is part along that journey. Right. So, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter the definition of athlete or not. Everybody is an athlete in their own respective ways. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. This is it. This is the last Bali episode that I'm releasing as part of the series. It is super sad for me to think about how so much time has passed. We're now at the end of October. I can't even believe that it's been since like June and July that I've that I've been there and had that opportunity to become a yoga instructor, meet so many amazing people, one of whom you will hear from today. Before I just kind of wrap up this series, I wanted to say how happy I was to be able to share all the wisdom that I learned while I was away and kind of take you guys along this journey that I had as best as I can through doing the podcast. This week, I am so happy to have my friend Johnny Tiu come onto the podcast, who you heard from at the very beginning of the segment. Johnny is a fitness consultant and trainer for Nike. We met through Aya, one of my other guests. If you haven't checked out her episode, you definitely should. She had so many amazing things to say in our conversation about the well-being behind giving back to others. But aside from Aya, who was how I met Johnny, we really hit it off in Bali. He's a fellow New Yorker, so you can imagine how comforting it was for me to meet someone from my hometown and get to see what it's like to ditch the whole corporate world, the New York lifestyle, and live full-time and work full-time in Indonesia. Johnny has such an incredible story to share with you all today. In this episode, we talk about how he started his fitness journey, what got him into fitness, into Spartan racing, what he does for work now as a fitness consultant, what it's like to be a Nike trainer. And I think the coolest part of this episode is the concept of biohacking, which we dive super deep into talking about what biohacking is, how you can utilize different tools to essentially biohack your health and your life. And Johnny shares a lot of wisdom around some quick and easy health tips you can implement in your day-to-day life. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode, but before we do get into it, I have a brief message from my sponsor, Anchor. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, Johnny. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Really, really interested to hear what we have to chat about today. And yeah, it's been a while since we last spoke uh, over in Bali. It's It really has. And I'm missing it every day, but I'm so happy we get to connect again virtually. How are things going with you? How is everything now that lockdown has been lifted? <laughs> last I was there, we couldn't really do anything. 
Yeah. So for those that are listening in, Bali had a little bit of a, was it second or third lockdown where there was a massive spike in cases. And I think for the most part, being in Bali, we had it quite easy per se versus the rest of the world where we were still able to somewhat enjoy the beach, still be outdoors. But of course, still within reason, we had to contain ourselves or restaurants weren't open. So it's a little bit of inconveniences, but I don't think there's anything any of us can complain about. But now being out of it, a lot of us that are living here really do enjoy the tight-knit communities that we're able to build out for people that actually do live here. And within this past couple of weeks, we can definitely see the influx of local tourism popping back in. So all the clubs, all the restaurants are back open. Everybody from all over Indonesia is all flying in. So it's been pretty busy. It's been uh, the roads are getting more traffic again. But aside from that, can't really complain. It's still day-to-day stuff during the, for us. It's having fun on the beach and enjoying the weather as much as we can. That sounds perfect. Something that I missed out a little bit on, but that's fine. <laughs> Gives me incentive amongst many others to come back. With your line of work, you know, working as a fitness trainer, a Nike trainer, also working with other health businesses, a lot of your work also, your exercise occurred outside, racing like in the Spartan races. And that's kind of how you're fitness journey began, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about like the onset of your fitness journey and how you got into all of that and just taking us a little bit through the timeline of your interest in athletics and training and racing. Yeah. So I don't think growing up, athletics was that big of a thing in my world. Unless looking back at it now, it really was. Because growing up as a kid, especially being an Asian family, your your parents are just like, study, study hard. But if you're going to go have fun, make sure you come back in time before the lights go out or something like that. So I think growing up as a kid, I was always really active, running around. I had more time playing backyard, getting yelled at because I wasn't home in time for sunset. And, and that, that's when your parents get mad at you versus now kids get, you know, playing on the computer games, barely even going outside. So I think I was fairly active as a kid, competed in like tennis, bowling, track and field stuff, mixed in nothing that I thought I was particularly amazing at, but things that just kept active and like I just had fun with friends. And my career path moving into it was nothing even related to athletics. It was based on business finance. So I was investment banking for a bit and then moved myself into uh, corporate finance, into risk management, into quality assurance. So like went through the corporate ladders on that, shift in different ways to find my own area that I thought worked best for me. And then it wasn't until, say, five years in, I already knew by my first year that finance wasn't really the end-all be-all for me. It wasn't being fulfilled. I wasn't too happy. I was happy with what I was doing. I was, do- was good at doing, doing the job, but it wasn't something that was making any changes on anybody's life. So that struck me personally. And at the same time, I was still active within the health industries and the gyms, my local communities. I was always like running around doing stuff, helping uh, gyms out with training clientele. So I had that interest that I kept on going on the side. And out of nowhere, I think my first competition I signed up for, which my friend just egged me. I was like, hey, why don't we sign up for this local 5K race in our local neighborhood? And ended up doing really well. I hated it during the time. I dreaded it. I was, it was painful. But after you cross the finish line, your endorphins come in. Uh, you end up feeling elated. And I was like, oh, wow, that was great. I think I could do better. And they called up my name for awards. And I was like, what did I win? And I was like, age group. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. So that bit of affirmation and confirmation that, oh, I might be pretty good at this if I kept on going along with it. 
So that was, I think, my first sight into athletics being into more than just having fun with it. Maybe I can actually train to be better. And more and more races came about. I started tackling like fun runs or like some some obstacle course races started becoming a big thing back in like 2010, 2012. And that's when Spartan races, which is an obstacle course race ranging from all sorts of terrains, the mountains, beaches, um, especially in Asia, like volcanoes. It could be any sort of terrains that's not just road. And you'll be carrying carrying objects, running, crawling through barbed wires, jumping over fires, going through walls, just different things as obstacles. So think of a military boot camp style with longer distances and you're paying to do it. <laughs> so you basically started this out for fun. Yeah. Because you realized that you placed in your age group and then yeah. it just transformed into this whole passion, I guess. But obstacle course races don't seem really fun to me, like going through mud, climbing up wall, like that's really difficult. So what kept incentivizing you and pushing you beyond like that initial affirmation of like, oh yeah, I'm actually pretty good at this? Well, I think it wasn't so much of just being good at it. I really did. I've always enjoyed being active. And I think that was just another benefit of of training a little bit harder. And I guess growing up, I've always seen my fr- uh, my friends of different ethnicities doing really, really well, but I didn't feel like I was at the same fitness level per se. But not saying it was a, any sort of stereotype with, uh, with different ethnicities, but it was just like, oh, maybe I didn't train hard enough or maybe because I wasn't so focused. So then I was like, you know what, let's put this into perspective. Let's actually try to push a little more and see where I can get from it. So it was like the fun of the sweat this enjoying being outdoors, but also having fun with the guys, like my friends around, like just friendly competition with one another. It's like, hey, let's see who can do better, egging each other on and just seeing what what boundaries we can push and what new limits we can really further push on ourselves to really see what we're capable of. The challenge was, it was just something fun and different because during when they first got introduced to the majority of the sporting world, it was something that's silly. It was like, you're jumping in mud, you're rolling through things. It's not the conventional races and competition, like running, cycling, triathlon, right? This is something that's coming from a left field, but it was kind of cool. It was unique. The wow factor was seeing photos of yourself just rolling around and trying to trying to crawl through things. So it looks badass. And that's one of the reasons why we tried to do it. It's like, oh, let's see if we can actually conquer this thing. Let's see if what is how difficult can this really be? And the first race I did, it was in actually in Jersey, uh, in the local at Mountain Creek, uh, local ski resort. Actually, I grew up, I saw, I pretty much know every single trail on that mountain, and yet we're racing through it. So we signed up for it, not knowing what to expect. You see these posters, but there's not much information about it. And man, I was destroyed. My body has never done any of that before, climbing up mountains, racing down the mountains, carrying like, say, 60 pounds on your shoulders climbing certain things or going through certain distances. And I was like, what, what did I just put myself through? Why did I do that? I am shattered. But I think the crazy part with putting your body through the experiences, during it, you'll hate it. During it, you question your life. But afterwards, where the adrenaline subsides, actually the endorphins of it coming back into it, filling you up with like that sense of, I can actually do better. Or how can I do better? Or what can I improve myself to help me reach the next level and not experience the same amount of pain? So I think just that idea of wanting to improve yourself to be better each and every time is that self-motivating factor to drive on through. So that's actually what kept me going each and every time I decided to compete. And that's where it brought me to where I am now. It's like It wasn't about 
showing someone up and just racing my friends, really just seeing how I can redefine myself and what actually is my limits. Right. And like you mentioned, you can push your body way farther than you think you can because our mind is the biggest barrier. And do you think that through your own personal experiences training, that has really shaped your coaching philosophy? Now working to coach other people and also I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your relationship with Nike and being a Nike trainer. Like how has your experience training for these races and competing and getting super interested in fitness informed the way in which you train as a Nike athlete and and coach other people? With anything, I think sports is one of the easiest ways to say we can overcome everything. We can overcome anything as long as you're willing to take on the challenge, right? Whether it's the work with, with any projects you have, with any issues, these challenging, we, this is the cliche, right? We have to go through challenges to get better and stronger. And whether it's physical, mental, or any sort of thing related to life, work, and family, it's true. We hate the challenges. We don't like change. No one likes change. But in order to get better, we always have to go through that sense of change and adapt to it, right? And for me, I think that plays out not, I mean, the great analogy with sports is that it's something you can see. You see your body developing, you see your body changing, you see your mindset changing. What's painful one day is not the next day. And this applies to everything, right? Whether it's my work with my clients, my athlete, seeing them progress and have them train the way they do. They know that they hate the training during, but they also know the progress because they can see it day by day. So it's through these like personal experience and provide for my clientele, my athletes, my clients to allow them to really fine tune their progression, to let them see what's the stepping stone for them to really get themselves in the next level. And then for me as a, a Nike trainer, so I represent Nike train, uh, I am a Nike trainer out here for Hong Kong and for Asia. What we do is that we're, we help our, the clientele, the public to really educate them on what how can we utilize these products provided by the brand to help them, you know, get them out the door, have fun, really just utilize their body and, and, and make sense of, of maximizing their potential in every which way possible. So not so much as in we have to push the product or we have to share something. Of course, with Nike, I love their products. They're, they're something that I stand by fully. And it's, it's a brand that I would through and through stick with. And it's because of that I can share my honest opinion about a product. So even though the product doesn't really help me in a certain way, it, might, it definitely will help someone else uh, to help them reach their goals in a sense. But having that title as a Nike trainer is definitely is is interesting because it comes with a certain expectation. <laughs> uh, but luckily, I'm I'm glad and lucky enough to be part of Nike Training Group uh, out here in Asia. In the U.S., I was introduced with Nike just by coincidence because I was running around Central Park and and I was spotted for my skill set in, in running and being of uh, a different diversity. That definitely helped too because growing up, there hasn't been many athletic Asians per se, especially uh, growing up in New York for me. So it was definitely changing up, shaking things up, breaking out of the mold to actually introduce some sort of more health and wellness scene within the Asian communities. Absolutely. And I know you've done a lot of work with that. And I think that's so important because there needs to be representation of all sorts of ethnicities and genders, and it needs to be a wide variety of different types of people that are represented in the health and wellness field. And I just think it's great that you're like really taking stride in that. And the Nike training platform, I think, is so awesome. I remember like back in maybe 2014 or 2015, I downloaded the Nike app, and it had like all the Nike workouts and the Nike training and 
it feels like you're being led by like a trusted source when you're doing those types of workouts, especially because the brand itself is so it's like the quintessential like sportswear company. Like the brand itself is so strong that I think a lot of people put their uh, trust into Nike if they're training with them, but also they have a lot of loyalty as customers to Nike in its entirety. That's how I feel about it. But of course, I could have a bit of a biased view. <laughs> and also like the point that you made about people you know, using these products, but just to get outside. I know that Outdoor Voices is a, a, a huge proponent of that. It was actually founded as more of like a an everyday athletic wear company and to get just regular people who are not necessarily like athletes or consider themselves to be athletic, but getting people to buy into this concept of everyday movement, everyday activity. And I think that's like somewhere you can even start. You don't have to be a Spartan racer <laughs> to be active. You can start with small steps. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that's the biggest thing, right? Because fitness, health is accessible to everybody and it should be fully taken advantage by everybody because it's, I mean, we've spent all our time doing certain things, focusing on on our responsibilities, but it's you're responsible to yourself to make sure you're healthy and able to enjoy the rest of your life and make sure your family is part along that journey, right? So no matter who you are, it doesn't matter the definition of athlete or not, everybody is an athlete in their own respective ways. It just comes down to just getting out and doing what you enjoy and taking small steps one, one, one step at a time. Even if you're not necessarily interested in athletics or exercise for the purpose of maintaining a healthy weight or feeling like healthy in your body. Now there's like the Apple watch, for example, where you can track the amount of steps that you walk every day and the amount of sleep that you're getting at night. There's all these metrics that you can look at to gauge your overall health, which may be of more interest to some people than others if they're not super interested in the amount of calories that they're burning in a workout. And I know this term is called biohacking. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about biohacking because I think it's super interesting and you're also doing a lot of cool things in the space. I guess in the broad sense, biohacking is pretty much anything utilizing information, technology, science to elevate your performance, elevate every single part of uh, things that you can control that most people don't think about in order to make you the best form possible, best recovery possible, just getting yourself to that extra 1%, right? And because of all the technology we have currently, all this health science, sports performance science, all the these different things we have accessible to us, it really takes a lot for each individual to understand what these products can do to help you with each and every day, either performance, lifestyle, sleep, stress relief, or even just uh, with work and everything in between, right? So a basic example of one sort of basic biohacking would just be data having more data about yourself to understand what your body's actually doing. Cause say, you know, going back in time, we have, all we know is how much we're, how, how, how tired we are and how hungry we are. Those are the basic things that we kind of look into, but now with, with data points and, and the tracking watches, say like Garmin's Apple watch, Asunto, any of these watches are the basic things that people can utilize for heart rate tracking, for how many steps they do, how far they run, um, how active they are. So this is just like an introduction of what, say, biohacking is, because it's just giving you more information into what your body is doing. Now, with everything with biohacking, you definitely need to take it with a bit of a grain of salt, because information is only as good as how accurate it is. And accuracy is also a major issue, because 
um, we're still constantly trying to find the technologies and different types of of new innovations to make it as accurate as possible. So even for me, the things I utilize, it's a good gauge to track day to day, month to month, see where the trends are going, but they're not the end all be all to say, this is exactly how many calories you're burning. This is how many steps you're actually taking. This is how fit you really are. That's not, I think, the the broader sense of what we're trying to track versus just finding the little things we can fine tune. So example of things that I utilize for myself for elevating my performance and, and really understanding more of my body would be like, I wear my running watch. I use that almost every single day. It, track, it tracks my heart rate, it tracks my, uh, the mile distance I run, the calories I burn, take everything with a grain of salt, of course. And then the other thing I utilize is the whoop strap. So it's considered a HRV monitor, so heart rate variability. It's uh, heart rate variability is the differences between your heartbeat. So normally people discuss about beats per minute, how many, uh, sorry, yeah, how many beats you have per minute on a regular basis if your heart's high or low. But the more important thing that doctors really look into is the beats between each beat. How many milliseconds does it take from one beat to the next? That gives you more information about how recovered you are, how readily are you to, to tackle anything that comes into place. So it's pretty much just your difference between your fight or flight sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So this is useful for me because it really keeps track not so much about how active I am versus how recovered I am and how ready I am to tackle the day. So I utilize this piece of data for sleep recovery. Um, and, the, and, and when I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I look at. It's like, okay, how recovered am I really? And this, through months of, of, of uh, experimentation, I've noticed that it really is pretty helpful. It really does tell you on days like, okay, today you should really take an off day. I've tried to not listen to it. And in the end, it ends up biting me in the ass because it really does know more than I think I know. Because I think, oh, yeah, I know my body. I feel pretty fresh today. It's telling me I'm bad, but I'm pretty good today. And you completely can shoot yourself in the foot. So I think that, especially for people that are busy, people are, are, are type A personality or just high-end athletes that always wants to be on the go, always wants to push, always want to work harder, there is just as much benefit as a on a recovery day, if not more, than it is on keeping active. So for people that are really on point, they want to constantly push, 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 telling someone to rest is even harder than telling them to train. So something like this, where you have a device, some sort of giving you a secondary confirmation, it's quite helpful to give you an idea of, okay, maybe you should rest because if you don't, you might get injured or you might get sick or your body might break down a little more and you might not get the benefits of it. Um, other things I utilize is um, this thing I've been experimenting a little bit. It's a continuous glucose monitor. So it's pretty much tracks your sugar level. That's exactly what I saw. I think it was like on your arm or on your chest or something. Yeah, it's on my back of my arm. Yeah, yeah. and it was like, that reminded me of like, I think sometimes like diabetics have like, I think like the insulin patches yep. or something like that. And I was like, there's no way this guy's diabetic. Like he's in the best shape of his life. So <laughs> that was, the, it was this continuous glucose monitor. Yeah, so that's a quite new uh, innovation for sports science. Uh, that's definitely a sense of biohacking because now you get you get to read exactly what your sugar level is live sent to your phone or to your watch. So this is something that previously was not available unless you're a super high-end athlete, you're in a lab all the time being monitored. And of course, they're reutilizing a product that's for health purposes for diabetics, making sure they're safe and their sugar levels now pushing for 
performance levels because how much sugar we can intake and how much we utilize is very, very important of, of having a healthy balance of where you go from training, from pushing, from recovery, right? So I think this is a very new health tech science that's really pushing new boundaries. And there's a lot of information that unfolds. It's pretty much, it's a biosensor, but pretty much it makes you bionic in a sense because you have a needle constantly in you transmitting data to your phone telling you this is how much sugar you ate. The second you drink a beer, the second you have a candy, the second you eat dinner, numbers change drastically. And that's something I think is essentially be a perfect example of biohacking. You are implementing something to understand your body, understanding that data set to help you have better performance or better sleep or better recovery, right? So that's a lot of things to unpack there, but it's, it's, it's very exciting times for us to have all this data sets and technology to really fine tune all these areas. I agree because on you know that one hand, now these technologies are becoming so advanced where you can really get real time data coming back to you, information that's updating about like your current state of being from a physical perspective, which also is probably affecting like the mental perspective, like your mental well-being. But at the same time, can it feel pretty overwhelming just getting fed tons of information and not necessarily knowing how to analyze it and how to apply it to your life? Like I can see this feeling a bit Black Mirror-esque. So where does the line get drawn? So that's definitely the double-edged sword with anything, anytime you look too much into data or trying to overanalyze yourself because all these products or all these things, you're, you're especially technology-based products with data points, they're there to help you, but you also have to really, really understand it. So they can't, they're not just a piece where you buy it, look at it and be like, oh, I'm automatically going to get faster, better, stronger, right? It doesn't work that way. You have to take, this, take the data, understand it, depict it, break it down and really try to make changes in your lifestyle to help you achieve these gains, right? So just if your doctor tells you, hey, your blood pressure is kind of high, uh, you should do something about it. It's up to you to really at the same time, are you really going to eat healthier? Are you really going to make these changes, right? So data is there as a, as a basic stepping stone. And the next part is you taking that data and really understanding as much as you can. Like for me, I don't introduce too many things at one time. It has to be, I'll, I'll sit down with something for maybe like, six months to a year to really understand and unfold everything before introducing a new product to my body because being overwhelmed is a, is, is a major factor. Being stressed out by data is a major factor. Just like saying, just like recovery strap, the whoop strap, right? For a lot of people looking at it, waking up in the morning, like, oh crap, I'm in the red, which means you're, you should be recovering today. You can stress you out and put you in a bad mood and, and it completely throw you off mentally, right? But that's not the way you should understand the data. So, of course, with biohacking, with, with more data, it comes with a grain of salt. And you have to have to be very, very intricately aware of how you break that data down. Just saving the sugar level, right? Like, just because something shoots up out of nowhere doesn't mean it's bad for you. That's what your body normally does. But, of course, you want to be able to control these, these uh, ebbs and flows of where your sugar goes through. And of course, there also could be inaccuracy with data, which I've had experienced day, like random days where that can stress you out. Like, wait, I've been eating the cleanest, I've been healthiest as much as I can, but yet my numbers are completely off the charts. And that comes with false positives or just inaccuracy of data. So it's not so much of, of having data is the end all be all. It's having data, but making sure you understand it and not be overwhelmed by it. Because if you're the type to be overwhelmed by it, take it a step back. Don't dive too deep into it. I guess an Apple Watch is probably like 
the the first step into getting into, into all of that because it, it does have like, you know, the steps that you're walking, your heart rate. It's it's kind of it's more user friendly to like the everyday person than maybe the whoop straps, how you pronounce it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's Whoop. Uh, Whoop's like the recovery. There's like Aura Ring. There's a lot of different brands that does HRE recovery. But it's just pretty much telling you how how much you're sleeping, how well you're recovering, and what can you do in your life to help you recover more. So that's another, that's one of the technology parts. Right. And now, I mean, it seems like a lot of these uh, top perf- uh, performing athletes are the ones that are testing out these products and using them. But do you envision there to be a future in which these products will be used more commonly in like the healthcare world and for people who don't necessarily have any health complications, but are really interested in these types of products, or even for those that do have health complications, like those who are diabetic or have heart issues or whatnot. I think it's, we're trying to bring, as always, as we get more and more advancements, they're trying to bring more innovations to everybody. But I think how acceptable it is still depends on each, every individual, because no one, when I think, most companies don't want to push it on people that don't want to adapt products because there's a lot of people that don't want to do that. Uh, but if you are interested and you want to learn more, those products are available to everybody. So everything I'm utilizing right now, they're mostly available to public, except minus the glucose monitor. They're currently restricted to certain regions based on um, health regulations and whatnot. But besides that, yeah, everybody's available to it. was not just top end athletes from from the full gamut of anybody that's just starting off getting out of the couch or just competing at the top end level, everybody has access to these technology. But again, it comes down to understanding what your body needs or if you get overwhelmed by this data or not. Because at the end of the day, you want these technologies to help complement you in your training process, in building a healthier lifestyle, but not detriment you in any way where you get overwhelmed by it, stressed out, or put you down negatively. It's just there as a secondary factor to help you reassure that you're going the right pathway or as a maybe motivating factor to help you along the way. Right. And if you have the literacy to understand how those data points are connected, I think it actually can show how, for example, sleep is really crucial to our mental and functioning and our physical functioning. And it can show the intricacies between like our lifestyle choices and how it affects not your not only your training if you're an athlete, but your day-to-day life, like how you're living your life day-to-day and the choices that you're making. Yeah, I think the most surprising thing I've learned through all these data tracking I've gone through, the most basic one is, of course, sleep. Sleep is the most important thing. If you don't get enough sleep, your decision-making skills, your body reaction and everything, we all know this. This is the cliche. You hear this over and over in general public, but yet we're all, we all, none of us really get enough sleep. <laughs> Let's just say yeah. that. Unless you force yourself to get like that proper eight hours of sleep or plus or- more, which most people do need more. Not even it's, like it's, good quality sleep. Like maybe you're yeah. getting the recommended amount of hours, but maybe yeah. it's not the best quality of sleep. And then if you work backwards from that, there are probably factors that are contributing to why you're not yep. getting the good quality rest. So what I found out with my street sleep tracking, anytime you drink any sort of alcohol, whether you're celebrating for friends with one beer, one wine or whatever it is, your body will react differently. Even though you think you're sleeping, you're knocking out, the quality of sleep is garbage. It is so yes, off. Yes, that so is different. true. The quality of sleep is not great. No, it doesn't even all. have to be like three drinks in. You just take one drink and your body will respond completely different. And it's surprising that I, I, I that's the most surprising thing I've learned through uh, technology that, that has given me these different things, right? And other things people can utilize without just data sets. Say biohacking can also be uh, cold bath, ice bath, saunas, 
uh, hot tubs, stuff like that, just changing body temperature. Uh, it's not data point driven, but the amount of recovery you do get, how deep it puts you to sleep, how it increases metabolism, all those things is part of biohacking or how certain light effects. We know like, you know, we in, in modern times now, your phone emits blue light. There's like on the iPhones, they have the night mode. You can change it out so you remove the blue light. But that actually does affect your, how your body reacts and to different things, right? Some people that are really extreme at the biohacking world or, or uh, athletic performance, they have their room in specific frequencies of LED lights, so specific red LED lights before they go to bed. And that actually helps increase um, recovery. Uh, certain types of, of hormones gets pushed out. And then if you want to wake up in the mornings, they change it up to a different temperature. And there's companies that have all these products, and they're really expensive because um, the frequency of LED is very specific. So mm -hmm. that's why they can charge a certain amount. And then the that's other things great. are like in your bed, of course, if you're, if you're sleeping by yourself, you can control the AC temperature. But of course, we all know sometimes temperatures fluctuate throughout the night, and that can result in the different quality of your sleep. But then there's technology that does... Um, they put there's inserts in your bed that cools the bed and keeps track of where your temperature is and also monitor your movement in the bed. And that's also another cool biohacking uh, scenario where you want to lower your bed temperature because the bed can be cold, but if you have the sheets, your covers over it, you're pretty comfortable, but that actually puts <laughs> you into deeper sleep. You get quality uh, REM sleep, you get quality um, recovery, all those little things come into play. And so this is where the intricacies of, of, the health science world or performance enhancement really gets deep. And this is where your, your, your major athletes, your Olympians, your top tier, anybody that wants to really get that milk, that 1% out of every single thing they can do in their day, this is where they're maximized in the sense of bi not just biohacking, but sports performance. And this is like the most granular you can get. And obviously, no, it can definitely get way deeper than that. Way deeper you, than yeah, that. Yeah. Well, how I, I'm, I'm still very, I'm fairly... <laughs> I'm still very like intermediate with what I want to do because of course all these things require a certain uh, regimentation and also a, a schedule, right? And you have to be able to apply these things mm -hmm. on a regular basis. But you know, if you're taking this recreationally or if you want to enjoy life, you don't have to get this deep down the rabbit hole. It just it can just be bits and pieces of things you introduce yourself to see if you want to. Uh, have just better sleep, better recovery, and just a overall better lifestyle. So it doesn't have to go that far in. I know some people do like, well, uh, Ben Greenfield, one of the the other podcasters, I once in a while I'll listen to some of his stuff, but he definitely gets deep, deep in the rabbit hole where testosterone injection, legal legalized ones, or certain growth hormones, so certain things are all legal, but it gets really, really intense where like that's really maximizing what you can do for enhancement of, of sports performance right. or just human performance. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So yep. if you think that's really interesting and you're fascinated by the technology, but you're not an Olympian and you're not going to invest a ton of like a ton of money yep. into all of that, what are some practices to biohack your life day to day, like very low cost, doesn't necessarily yep. require an Apple watch or a whoop strap or anything like what are some practices you can do to focus on different areas of your life to lead a bit of a healthier lifestyle? Yeah, so I guess remo removing the word biohacking, right? Because that's just that's just the terminology people utilize. But just think about how can I make myself the healthiest way possible and build a better lifestyle that's sustainable to everybody. And the basic answers are things we hear all the time: drink enough water, 
wake up at the same wake up and sleep around the same scheduled time every day properly have a a cooler environment to sleep in you know no light and stuff like that eat healthy and just remove stress right that's like the basic things you can do for your body they're free there are things that everybody can do but it's still up to you to rearrange your schedule and commit to it and within say like a month of doing that you'll notice a night and day difference of what your body can do, what your mindset, where your mind's at, how what your energy level's at, and then how your body feels overall. After doing the yoga teacher training program for a month and just being in Bali for about two months, reflecting on that time, I realize now the routine that I was in and getting, I got a lot of sleep in every night. I was going to bed early. I was waking up early. Like I was in sync with, like my natural circadian rhythm was, in sync with nature, in sync with like the sunset and the sunrise. And, and I was eating really well and I was exercising and granted it felt kind of like this like euphoric environment where I had nothing to worry about. And that was kind of like the one time in my life up until now where like I've been completely stress-free because I've had no obligations. And obviously like that is not the rea- like the day-to-day reality. And so how can someone maybe after going through a situation like that where they're on like one complete end of the, the spectrum, like living their best life possible, how can you still bring some of those practices into like day-to-day normal life when you have a job and you're you're living on your own or you're, you're, you have like expenses? There's just a lot going on. Like how can you bring that sense of calmness and sense of discipline and the, pra- the wellness practices that are practiced in the, the – most controlled for environment into the chaos of normal living. I think it's like, it's exactly what you said. It's just a sense of discipline, right? Um, being out here in Bollywood, the chance that you have for me being out here, it's a definitely different world. And we're lucky enough to experience that or be in it, but it's not for everybody, but also it's not sustainable for everybody because we do have real life world and jobs and responsibly and families, right? The best thing you can do is just have that discipline to yourself. What are the things you value? Because not everything you can take, we don't have 50 hours in a day, we can do 101 things that we wish we want to do. But it's really just maximizing the time you have. The difference of making sure that you have that set time of sleeping because you need to sleep, right? But how much sleep you get, you are in control of. We have, we all have 24 hours a day, but you are in control based on responsibilities you do have and making sure you get the exercise and you are in control of that. But it depends where your priority lies, right? Because it's not something that's there's not one answer for everybody. Because of course, some people have hectic jobs that need to work that many hours a day. But if that's what's fulfilling you and that's what you think your priority is at, then that's what has to be done. But if you can just change the little things, sleep, get some exercise movement in, and then getting some sort of, of, of proper eating, that's all we, I think that's the most applicable thing you can do is starting off the basic side. There's not much more than that because. It's just based on your schedule and, and, and your obligations that you have on a day-to-day basis. And recognizing that that can change also, I think, really plays into this concept that our health is constantly in flux. Like our, our health from a holistic perspective, our physical, our mental, our emotional health, it's in response to what's happening in that environment at that time. So it's good to put that into perspective. And also, like like we said in the beginning, right? Your mind, your bar, we hate challenges. We hate adapting, but we have to. And when you do adapt, you're going to get that much better. It's the same thing. These are challenges in your life that you're going to have to adapt to. And you're going to force yourself to make these changes or these specific regimentations to fulfill your bodily needs. And if you can do that, it's just going to get that much easier. Yeah. And one other question that I have for you now, you know, 
you're still in Bali, you're still out there living like the best life possible. What are some of like your best health practices? For me, honestly, the best thing I've done for myself being out here or having the time to do so is really waking up before the sun rises and really seeing the changing colors. I know, I mean, me being in, also a New Yorker, I, who wakes up in New York before the sun rises, honestly, unless it's the middle of winter and you have to go to commute and you're not going to enjoy seeing the sunrise. But for <laughs> me personally, being out here on the island, I will get up before the sun rises, see the sunrise, see the changing colors, brings a sense of wake openness and, and awakeness to it. And also I'll just try to get out there for sunset because I think one thing I learned is seeing the colors change really uh, helps with the receptor, light receptors in your eyes and puts you in the better sense of your circadian rhythm on a more scheduled basis. And it helps with my training and everything in between. But also who doesn't enjoy a sunset when you really get to see it? I'm just making the most of it because I know I hope to be out here all the time, but I know at the same time when the world gets back to normal, I might not be seeing making the most of, of, of these, uh, of the sunsets and everything. So I'm just taking it all in as much as I can. And between that and healthy eating, that's just the most, just the sense of positivity. Well, this kind of ties into my next question, which is what I'll, I'll end with here is what is something that brings you endorphins and it can be sunsets, but I'm sure there are other <laughs> things that also bring you a lot of happiness in your day-to-day life. <laughs> The funny thing is that the one things I didn't expect was walking around just seeing the random dogs and I'm just smiling to myself. That just brings me, that definitely does bring me a sense of endorphins. But also I am a major runner. I do love running. I do enjoy my runs for the most part. And I like exploring new places consistently, whether it's in the island of Bali, whether it's all over Indonesia, all over Asia, back in the US. I think even in the concrete jungle, I enjoy that sense of running and that definitely does bring me endorphins whether morning night or day it could be when i was a student middle of the late night hours of 2 a.m i'm still out there running that grounds me it definitely brings me endorphins it sets me up for whatever i'm doing and yeah i think life of running the runner's high i mean i don't run long enough to be able to explore new like neighborhoods and places on my runs one day maybe but that again requires consistency and training and discipline but sometimes i I feel the same sense, like even like a 20 minute jog or 30 minutes, you just need to get some movement in. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't, everybody runs at their own pace and everybody can enjoy it. It's just slowing it down because everybody, most people, when they think about running, they run too fast. Yeah. Cause then it's like crash and burn. (laughs) Like you're so excited and you're going out there and I've experienced that multiple times. And then by like the seventh minute, I'm like, I'm turning back around. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Johnny. It's been so wonderful having you on the podcast. Where can my followers find your social media handles? If you guys are interested, you can always hit me up on Instagram. It's at quack, like the duck, Q-U-A-C-K, and my last name, T-I-E-U. Yeah, Instagram, I'm pretty active on that. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.